Hello, it's Cornelius, and it is Wednesday, the 28th of July, and it's a pretty good day. I actually slept in a little longer than expected this morning. I kind of cut my um, warm bath off. I have a ritual that I like to implement in the morning to kind of get the day started and allow me to kind of reflect and set my mind uh, right. Uh, so I put my bath on and I soak for about 30 minutes and like to put Epsom salt in there, um, light a candle and listen to some nice classical music. Uh, and these are great um, ways for me to relax myself and uh, balance my energies before I walk out the door because I'm um, faced with so many other energies that are not compatible. So I want to make sure that um, that my my energies are in, in balance. So um, I'm doing really good this morning. Um, I don't like to break my routines, but, you know, lately the universe has been pushing me to kind of break my routines and do more, uh, just have more change, go into different neighborhoods, go to different parts of the park and speak to different types of people, um, go into different restaurants, eat different food, order different drinks. Uh, just the universe seems to be uh, just beckoning this change in my lifestyle and it's all uh, conducive to this uh, higher elevation this, this change uh, this prog- progressive uh, shift in, in, in lifestyle practices that are a little more conducive to um, this new energy that I'm in and not just energy but also my new values and principles that I've established for myself um, and cultivated over the years have now been now um, I'm able to kind of live in that and, and identify more with that where it's not foreign to me but it's more comfortable and I've realized that when I go out into nice restaurants and I'm around more affluent and intelligent people. I just find myself to be more comfortable in these settings and less comfortable in places that I used to be, um, uh, places I used to frequent a lot. It didn't, wasn't, there are no longer compatible to uh, where I'm going in my life. So just a little bit of uh, an update of kind of how the week has been going for myself and what I've been paying attention to and how we're all just really connected with each other no matter who we are rich or poor mean or good um we all ultimately fulfill or at least try to fulfill this the human evolutionary um task of connected connectedness um so uh, understanding that uh, it allows me to have a little more compassion. So I guess the theme today is having more compassion because I had to have a lot more compassion in dealing with my sexual identity. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm recording. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. So um, next chapter will be the art of debauchery. For once, I didn't have the compulsive urge to go out and drink during the weekend. So instead, I met a guy for sex on a dating app, Grinder. 
hoping that I would expel of the built-up tension hijacking my thoughts processes to where all I could think about was sex. It had been only a week since I last was sexually active, which seemed more of a drought than a recuperative period. Three days after that connection, I discovered a flare-up with each that was either due to stress or the fact that I decided that I to have unprotected intercourse. I usually went to the clinic and would lie about my how many sexual partners I had been with, knowing that I would be treated on the spot, so it didn't matter to me whether I was protected or not. I was sure to be injected with a much as much antibiotics one can handle in one butt cheek. <laughs> While the gin and tonic still circulated in my veins, the anxiety of having unprotected sex never went away until I get to the clinic for my version of the morning after pill. Bonafide whore would not think twice about his whorish ways, but I would be attacked with ferocious anxiety, convincing me that I had finally messed with the wrong guy and had contracted some incurable disease that would ruin my sex for li- sex life for good. My visits became so frequent I no longer felt the need to lie about my how many guys I had slept with. And when asked how many sexual partners I had within the last three months, I simply told the truth and responded to many to count, either from absent-mindedness or salaciousness. I would make up what seemed an appropriate number so that I wouldn't get the aghast look on the nurse's face when they knew when they knew how to hide their judgments and would move on to the next question. The truth was that I never counted past number five. Or I would only count the ones that I went unsafe with. Aestheticizing my sexual indiscretions became a very skillful and strategic fool's play of cards. A hard game where I almost always pulled out the joker. But the joke was on me. I guess my sescapades was due to feeling like an outsider. But I craved being the insider or just inside someone to take the some of the loneliness I felt away. I always found it difficult to find a social circle, a small group of like-minded gay guys to enjoy company with. This sense of connectedness would have surely compensated for playing Russian roulette with my health. It was as if God had made me this lone wolf by nature and quite the contradiction, so I never knew what I wanted from a relationship because I was too busy painting the pictures I had in my head and not allowing Mona Lisa to smile. This was not a virtue by a long shot, and I was a re- and it was the reason why I masked my self-confident troubles. My real life consisted of random hookups because I did not have the patience for much else and I grew bored easily. Most of the gay men in New York had this don't ask, don't tell policy, so I was hesitant about hanging my morals up to dry, but quickly got used to not having to discuss my sexual history with a complete stranger who never bothered to ask me my name. I would have to let what was done in the dark stay there. I lived with no limits, and I scuffed at the mere idea of having a problem with my drinking, which enabled a lot of my acting out. You cannot pay me to put down my dirty martini because that gin made me sin, and I sinned often. I chased gin with vodka, depending on the occasion, or whatever was available if it got me to that place of ecstasy. My daily routine was my discharge from the army consisted of cruising gay apps and looking for my next John. This preoccupied a lot of my time, and I got nowhere as a result of this behavior. 
Those chats on gay apps usually turn into a shouting match because online dating frustrated me and I had little control over my anger. But I did not always get what I wanted when I wanted it. To be honest, I hated searching for sex, but I hated going without it even more. So I gave in to this quick fix dick mentality. My overall view of men was that they they were too fickle and wishy-washy. And it annoyed me to the point where I would be really, I'd be ready to break my phone if my incessant compulsions was not fulfilled. Maybe the underlying issue was that I was not happy. Which made me even more angry. But I desperately needed focus and to concentrate on something other than men. I admit, I was not the most scrupulous when it came to my sex life. And my time on gay chat sites were keeping me from being productive and accomplishing my goals of finding sexual security for, with Mr. Right for meeting Mr. Right now. I would find myself involved in these sex affairs with men who, like me, did not believe in monogamy, nor did I ascribe to any of its prerogatives. For me, relationship ruined honest pursuits of a well-adjusted and balanced lifestyle, and I lived my life on the road and did not stop at any rest stops. The hookup sites were ingrained in my psyche that is automatically connected to my penis, sending a signal to use the app as soon as the thought of sex comes to me. When when men didn't stick around that long, but they were an attempt to exercise that innate propulsion towards this ideal fantasy of faithlessness, of faithfulness and companionship without being in love, unless you equated the ecstasy felt for birds chirping in the backyard of a gated community with the wiener dog and an adopted Asian baby. If not, it was just in the nut. I never had the patience to consider any man for the sole purpose of filling an emotional void, considering I kept emotional garbage exactly where garbage went. Besides, when would I be, would feel myself becoming smitten with someone, I became neurotic and found a way to push them away by my contradiction, contradictory personality. Apparently, I had kept my deepest passions in the same dispenser, concealed from the world only using it when I wanted to manipulate my subjects into submission. I was willing to fall down many slippery slopes, one being with a guy named Darren. This slope slid me straight into toxicity. What started as an awkward hookup turned into a friendship, but he really was not a friend, but in New York we'll just call him a friend. I became acquainted with Darren through a gay hookup app, Grinder. I was still in the military at the time and was only visiting New York on weekends. I took trips to the city every other month to let my hair down away from the duties of the military life. What was done in the city stayed behind as I made my gruesomely five-hour trip back to Fort Drum, being bone-tired, having all the boys I had slept with playing in the back of my mind like a recorder to keep me occupied. I usually stayed in Harlem at a cheap motel called the Casablanca, far from being presidential, but it was what I could afford. Darren was in the radius, so I hit him up, and fortunately he was game for play. Now, Darren had been living in Harlem since the 90s, when New York used to be fun. I would soon learn Darren was very well known around the gay circus du Soleil. I would pay him a visit during my visits and quickly realized that he was as whorish as me and not in a good way. My jealousy decided to spare my heart the emotional letdown after a syphilis scare as a token of his appreciation, a backstory I will explain in another chapter. When I finally moved into the city, 
Nothing more than friendship would come out of our arrangement. One thing we had in common besides being whores was that we were both endowed. There was only room for one king on the throne, and though his crown was bigger, mine was shinier. We were like pimps running a cyber booty cartel, and the gamble was always more men. We went back and forth, tag-teaming dudes, sharing our leftovers. We both had dominant, strong personalities, so there was no middle ground for whether the tumultuous tide when the shit hit the fan in between us. If our sex lives were equated with our religion, I would say that Darren practiced his religion in Jerusalem with the Hasidic gays in Harlem, and I was in Mecca with the hardcore jihadi gays in the Bronx. He was a veteran in New York, so he knew all the ins and outs of the scene. And interesting, it was interesting to hear old gay war stories back when the gay scene was Vietnam and their Air Force was dropping kilos of white powder on the gay party scene. Now it was crystal meth being tossed in the jungle of the Nam, turning the gays into dust and rubble in Operation New Dawn, Afghanistan. Darren was, in the, was the perfect veteran to show me the ropes in the city, having more years and miles under his belt. So naturally, I latched on to him. I spoiled myself with boys, finding them anywhere at a gym, on a train, parks, bathhouses, or sex parties. Anywhere a group of lustful men congregated to get my rocks off. I must have been possessed walking around sperm-glazed floors wearing only socks, having no discernment how unsanitary it was, nor did I care about what men thought. I slid in any raw hole bent over without second-guessing the consequences. This was sexual liberation in a nutshell, and nothing would convince me that this was not the life that I was meant to live. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. I was making up for the lost times, and I only, and not only tested the waters, but I wanted to swim in it, bathe in it, soak in it, and eventually drown in it. All I knew was that I had this newborn freedom in an apartment leased in my name, so no one could tell me what I could or could not do. It was of little concern that I missed out on sleep because I wanted to try every guy within a five-mile radius if I could. When I wasn't creeping on gay apps, I went to the bars and blew $10 bills like it was single dollars sliding down the underwear of a go-go dancer simply because the guy had a nice body and it gratified me to get a smile back from him, even if it was fake. Darren and I were two pigs in a blanket and drawing comfortable with one another. Between our grinder tag team dates, we occasionally shagged with each other, but that was rare because he stayed drunk on vodka, and though I drank, I had not reached the level of sloppy belligerent drunk yet, so I opted for the friendship. It was with him where I spent my first Thanksgiving in New York. I was only 24 days into in my new place, and I, had not, and I didn't want to spend it alone. The smell of sex pervaded Darren's place, which felt more like a sex dungeon, very dark and stuffy. If I did not feel depressed before, I was sure to be upon leaving his place. Thanksgiving was supposed to be a time to be grateful, but grateful was the last feeling on Darren's mind. He was another broken gay man, a remnant of his glory days that centered around a lot of coke and sex. Men like him always spent the holidays alone, usually fudge packing one of Santa's helpers. So he was available and convinced me two lonely men shouldn't be alone for the holidays, drinking ourselves into a coma. So we decided to buy a ton of vodka and drink ourselves into a coma together. 
What started out as me coming over to bring the holiday cheer and enjoying one another's company turned into me babysitting a grown man. Darren had been binge drinking for two days prior to me arriving, so pregame had come and left for him, and I had to witness the halftime show, watching his half-lame body slouched over the couch, shrunk, watching Wendy Williams. He did not find it the least unusual that he could not keep his head up doing hot topics or the, to acknowledge that I was still in the room. We ate Dominican takeout with, with dry roasted chicken and dry rice without beans and because the slip, uh, delivery guy forgot to bring it. I was able to hold my liquor then again there was the arrest at Frankfurt, Germany where I blacked out after lashing out at a party goer in a nightclub screaming Nazis! at the top of my lungs. Besides that, I kept my drinking undetected and surely did not think of myself as an alcoholic. Darren, on the other hand, drank like a fish and liquor went through him like a sieve. We ate there, we, we sat there in a daze, slouched over with a, or he sat there in a daze, slouched over with a dinner fork in his hand. Then he would drift off into an alcoholic-induced stupor to be extra classy. All he could do was just sit there in a daze with his head cocked to the side with drool and rice running from his inebriated lips. His glossy eyes rolled to the side of his lifeless face. And as if this night couldn't get any worse, he started blurting obscenities at me, calling me a nigger as if I hadn't been called that before. But the way he put so much hate and emotions behind it reminded me of how hateful my father's rage felt. It usually took a lot to put me in tears, but I don't know if it was the dry chicken laying on my plate untouched or my unpreparedness for his angry drunk wrath or the nostalgia of not being home for something. But something came over me and eventually I was in tears, but he showed no sympathy. Here I was, freshly new in the city, spending time with someone whom I considered a friend, yet I was being cursed out by this bitter drunk. It became all too much for me, considering I could be having my pity party alone in my apartment. But I wanted to be around someone to take the lonely feeling I felt on the inside away. Now I had to put up with my verbal, with his verbal attacks from someone who reminded me of all my stepdads, all that, um, all in the name of friendship. Fuck you, nigga. You got, you not even on my level, motherfucker. He blurted out, spewing obscenities at me, not stopping, even after my tears. I can count on my hands uh, the amount of men that I've allowed to make me feel worthless. But whether if it was the combination of the vodka or remembering the trail of tears, he found my button and kept pushing it. Selfishness was his forte, and I was tired of being the subject of his constant mind manipulations. But something kept me drawing back over to his place. If I didn't accept all his annoying antics and agree with every erroneous, supercilious thought that entered his brain, he would show his disdain and make me make me pay by unleashing a hailstorm of insults or try to intimidate me by getting in my face and forcing his wet, drunk tongue in my mouth as a way of making me humiliated. I realized I was willing, willfully powerless when I was around him because he always behaved aggressively. He lived in a perpetual cycle of unprotected sex, self-loathing, criticism, and blaming the man for the state that he now found himself in. He moved in roommates because he could not afford his rent on his own, and I am sure that he was clinically depressed, combined with a substance use disorder. 
I swore that I would never let a man bring me to the point of tears after this night. After we spent the holidays together, our next our texts became less frequent. He stopped sending me his sex videos, and I was happy to get a relief from all the psychodrama that I blamed myself for participating in. If I had to go through this with, with this headache, I didn't need friends. People are people, was how Darren responded to the unfairness of life. Generalizing was also how he protected himself from the disappointments of not being able to master his own desires, the experiences. He was the epitome of what I, what I didn't want to be like when I turned 50. But I didn't cut him off completely, deciding to remain friends with him because we both shared an affinity to where our shoulders, to where our shoulders, were on our shoulders, the cares of the world. As he also had soft heart, a trait that served us adversely because we lacked the ability to manage other people breaking it. When you are a black man in society, you're already demonized and hated. So I was oftentimes misjudged and disrespected. As for Darren, men only stayed around him long enough to get what they wanted. Then they were out the door. So I related to his objectification on a deep level. I was aware how society pigeonholed black men's character, relating it to some erroneous view that somehow my blackness deems me unworthy of someone's love and affection. To witness everyone's loving and sharing freely, but I must be put in a role of subjugated black gay victim. People stop learning how to treat you since we are not normal according to society. Society creates subcategories to further subjugate me using the characteristics scale to you to judge my skin complexion my facial features even trying to determine my african how african they think that i am gay men are no better treating me uh each other how we feel in society like crap and darren treated me no different than any one of these boys darren was relentless with his insults name calling doing anything to be obnoxious he knew how to test my patience, but deep inside, he did express a little affection, telling me one time that he loved me and that we were so much alike. I would fall for his kind of manipulations had I been practicing Buddhism and reading Shinya Tomi's book, Buddhism in the New Light. In this book, he refers to this form of control and arrogance as the devil king of the six heavens. Darren's arrogance ensured that I remained dependent materially and emotionally on him, and this was how he gained his strength and power. A symbiotic relationship between two dominant yet weak personalities, and it frustrated him that I would not submit to his will. He pretended to be affectionate as a way of getting the reaction his ego needed to feel validated. I recognized the dysfunction in our relationship because he resembled adult relationships that I had been that I had seen in my childhood and it turned me off from seeking love as a goal life goal. His self hatred was driven by the inner weakness, insecurity, and need for affirmation, acceptance and validation, qualities that were undeveloped for the both of us. Not to put the blame all on him because I was responsible for being distracted. I allowed myself to go there knowing that it was not willing that I was not willing to change overnight or that he was not willing to change overnight. He seemed to have thought that we had a love affair, but I did not feel that way about him because he reminded me of my verbally abusive family. It got to the point where sexual dynamic could not be salvaged on mutual grounds. 
Whatever he felt it was taking taking from me, he no longer got a thrill from. Now he was pushing me away and blaming me for being the reason we never had sex. I needed his friendship, but I suspected his jealousy when he would constantly ask me if I thought I was better than him or more superior. Yotomi writes, A person that passes through the six devil kings always need to feel superior over others. I never knew where this sense of competitive envy arose from or how to respond. This became a classic case of dominant submissive qualities that he wanted to put me in. However, I learned a lot from him and saw this challenge to develop the compassion to not abandon him because he was wandering helplessly in life, despairing himself and his connections with me. And I harvested power by and he harvested power by being able to sexually conquer the weak and submissive, which turned into this Latin bottom fetish because they, in his words, worshipped him and did not give him an attitude like most black men. He became easily frustrated with me because I could not submit to him, to this low state of submission. My nature simply would not allow me to give in to his domineering person, to this domineering person that wished to control me through sex, especially not without putting up a fight. We both had trust issues, and the attempt at bonding was like trying to connect two dead neurons. The fallacy of gay worlds have sucked me into this life of partying and drinking, and the wound cut deep, and it hurt. To know that I had to start over and relearn how to have friends again. I still spoke to Darren on occasions, but I considered him an alcoholic, and he would never care that I was contemplating the idea of being sober, and any attempt to garner sympathy from him would surely backfire. It seemed the relationship with the higher power was the only answer to this problem this call for change that seemed to be ricocheted across my face and I never saw it coming. Finding this higher power would prove more difficult than I had ever imagined. I eventually broke my friendship with Darren after I blew up on him via text for not telling me that he had exposed a mutual sex buddy to a syphilis. I feel that he was jealous and behaving salty with me because the guy was spending more time with me and not with him and that when Darren being a Gemini showed that he was more two-faced than he had let on to be revealing a flawed character so that was that for maintaining a friendship which left me back to square me and that is the end of that chapter thank you very much for listening today and stay tuned for the next segment goodbye